welcome to the Alpha Podcast by Canis for Ryan Eford. I'll be hosting professionals that live the Alpha lifestyle from a number of different industries and career fields. You can find us at your favorite podcast apps and sign up on our newsletter for updates. Today, I'd like to welcome our guest, Jessica Byers. Jessica, welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good to, good to talk to you again. You too. So let's get started. Um, tell us where you're from. Central Texas. So I grew up in a town called Temple uh, between Austin and Waco. And before moving to Utah, I was living in a little farm town. I don't know if anybody would know, but it's called Holland, Holland, Texas, known for the Holland Corn Fest. Okay. <laughs> it's just a little farm town with one blinking light. And uh, yeah, I grew up there until I'll be 32 soon. So I moved to Utah when I was about 30 years old. And here we are. And what took you to Utah? Because I didn't even know you were from Texas. I thought you were from Utah. So that shows oh, how you much did? I knew. Oh, yeah. how funny. No, I'm from Texas. I'm so, I'm proudly from Texas. I'm surprised you haven't caught wind that I'm an Aggie too. Well, no, I've heard the accent, but I just didn't put two and two together. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I actually moved here to, to work for Hunt and Full. Okay. I, um, you know, before that I was self-employed and I, I just, I, um, I vibe off of people's energy and that team atmosphere. And I was really missing that. I was starting to, you know, just, it's just different working with a team of people versus working for yourself. And so I happened to shake the right hand at SHOT Show a couple of years ago, which was um, the CEO of Huntful, Jared Lyle. So met him through a mutual contact at, at SHOT Show in Vegas and uh, took the job 11 months later, I was living in Utah. <laughs> So, That's awesome. Quick transition. Absolutely. So I had the opportunity to watch uh, some of the Blood Origins video where I first saw you speaking on that video. Um, and, you know, what resonated with me, you're, you mentioned that your dad, you grew up hunting with your dad as a child. He had three girls in the family. Yeah. Um, so tell me about four that. Now. Like Four now. Four, but yes. four, four now. Okay. So tell me, tell me about that. You know, I grew up hunting with, with my dad, um, from, you know, young age, I don't two years old. So tell me about that and, and about growing up in Texas and, and how you basically were introduced to hunting and, and then we'll get, we'll elaborate from there. Yeah, sure. So, um, my dad's had all of us girls out in the field, whether we're fishing or hunting since we were pretty young. Um, I was the youngest until I, I until he had a kid. He was, I think he was 59 when he had his, his next kid. I was literally okay. walking the stage at A&M and he's like, by the way, you're going to have a little sister. Like, <laughs> All right, cool. Um, there's four of us now. Okay. And, but the three of us older ones, you know, grew up together in the outdoors with him. And um, I remember most of my memories are fishing. He loves bass fishing. And so, and, and for them as well, but he always had a, had a deer lease, you know, most of Texas is private land. So he always had a deer lease growing up, but we'd go there and, and just spend our time outdoors. And I think the coolest thing about having a dad that got his daughters into hunting was he didn't pressure any of us. You know, he kind of like, he wasn't trying to put pressure us to get behind a weapon or, or get our license or go through hunter safety. He was just, just kind of exposing us to that, you know, lifestyle. And, um, eventually I got to a place where I think I was, it was like end of eighth grade, I believe. Uh, when I told him, I said, dad, I think I want to shoot a deer. And, th and this is after vividly, I mean, I vividly remember going through phases of like, 
Eddie, why are you shooting that deer? Like, I love the outdoors, but why are you shooting that deer? <laughs> and right. it, the way that he just, um, just eloquently, like the way he spoke about the outdoors, he's very passionate about it and always answered any questions that we had with facts and, you know, management mindset and conservation and all that. And um, he really shaped, you know, my desire to, to want to get behind the weapon. And so, yeah, so, and he did it. I, I, I just remember that he's like, okay, well, it's not like you can just go shoot one. We got to go through hunter safety. We got to start shooting your gun and we got to prove that you can shoot in different positions. And like, he really, he really taught me, he really did it the right way in my opinion. But as he, in his own words, he says he planted the seed. Um, and what he means is that, you know, when you expose your kids to the outdoors, um, the idea is that you make, you make it fun, you make it enjoyable and you teach them and they grow confidence through it. Um, they may drift away from that for a little bit, but they will always come back to it. And I didn't really understand that fully until I became an adult because I realized there was a time in my life where I didn't hunt that much. That was in my college days. I was working full-time. I was going to school full-time. I didn't get out to get, I didn't get to go hunting much um, after high school until I graduated. And, but that's what he's like, that's what I meant when I said that, like I planted the seed for you to always know, to always come back to that. And I never knew it would, you know, I'd make a career out of, you know, being in the industry, but it's, it's been such a fun ride. And I, I give, I give him a lot of that credit as well as my husband. Um, yeah. Was, when, when do you think the, so he planted that seed. And as you mentioned, you know, you get busy with life. When do you think it really took hold? Cause obviously you went out to shot show and like you, you mentioned shaking hands um, you knew that, okay, I want to be in this industry. I want to be a part of a team environment again. When do you think that took hold? Um, well, so when I actually, when I got out of college, uh, this is kind of a side story, but I, I, I was in the industry before hunting full. I just was okay. in the industry on my own. So, okay. um, you know, when I graduated from A&M, I quickly realized after doing an internship, I don't really want to do this for a living. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a really cool degree and I use it now, but I did at the time I just didn't want to, I just wouldn't, I just wasn't there at one time. And, uh, randomly went off to beauty school. My mom was in the beauty industry all through the nineties and swore I'd never do it, but I did. I loved the idea of working with women and making them feel beautiful. Um, I liked, it was very gratifying to build relationships and make them feel good and um, like have quality conversations, not just like surface level conversations. I, I, it was very, very gratifying. But in that time, I did that for three years. And in that three years, what I, because I worked for myself, I would work like four days a week. And then I'd start, I'd hunt three days a week. <laughs> and so I did that over and over, over again. And what I realized is like, I need to start writing about this because there were so many women that, um, that would come across my table. Cause I, I didn't eyelash extensions for anybody interested. <laughs> and they would say, I don't know how you do that. I could never do that. And I've, I heard all this doubt in their voice, you know, it's just like, man, they just don't know what they're capable of. You know, anybody's capable of this. And, um, uh, so I thought I'm gonna start writing about it because I at the time this was back in oh man 2012 to 2015 somewhere along there um, I uh, I didn't see any women that were like writing about their experiences from a woman's perspective and there's just something about learning from women women weren't learning from women 
um, we think differently. We, we react and behave in, um, emotionally and physically we're just made different right and I had men mentor me my dad and my husband but I still to this day love learning from women so I started writing about those adventures and um, created a blog and started you know partnering with all these companies and so I did that I did that for two years I traveled all around the world and hunted some beautiful places and chased some awesome you know game and um, you know really fell in love with it but again it did get lonely and I missed that team atmosphere and I I, uh, so that's where I was at SHOT Show because I was still at the time keeping my own brand afloat and networking and doing what needed to be done to run a business. And um, they just happened to be looking for somebody that, you know, you know, loved it, was passionate about it. You know, everybody on the team here is just lives and breathes hunting. All the guys love it. And um, they needed somebody in marketing and PR um, that, you know, kind of knew the industry fairly well. And at the time I think I'd been in it for five years. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when I watched your, your interview on blood origin, something that resonated with me, um, I grew up in Arkansas, you know, again, dad had us in the woods at a young age, but I'd never hunted with any women or like met women that were actually hunters, you know, and had really? the same, like passionate about it. Yeah. It was just, you know, all the people that I hunted with were, were guys And so like your dad, I've got two boys and two girls. um, And like your dad, I was like, it's important to me to have my daughters also out there and experience it, you know, see if they like it. Um, Just all the things that come and we'll get into the adversity side in a minute, but experience all those things from, you know, my eight year old was climbing up a two man ladder stand two weeks ago, uh, like Spider-Man. And I thought, you know, I would never let him climb a ladder on the house like that just because at the house mentally, I'm like, no, that's dangerous. You don't need to be up there. (laughs) And then in the deer woods, just what you do. And I'm just sending him straight up the ladder, you know, teaching him how to do it and standing underneath him in case he slips or something. But it's all those experiences that the outdoors teach us and it builds confidence in them. And I was like, I want my daughters to be able to be confident with a weapon understand you know they may decide someday they don't like it but i at least want to give them that skill set and that opportunity to to, to try um for sure so that's, when I, I always say that's what's given me the most confidence is the outdoors for yeah sure. well you know i was looking at my daughter we're sitting in the ground blind and it was a new experience for me too right so it's like it was it the first time i took her um gosh i was probably early early 30s um and five years ago, she's 12 now. So five years ago, but I was almost looking at her like kind of like mesmerized too, like to, to understand how she does things different than my boys do. Um, and one of the things that I took away and I've told a lot of people, I was like, you know, I was actually blown away, like her competitiveness. Um, she like refused to fall asleep. You know, my boys like the first few times it's cold, you're in the ground blind, they fall asleep. Right. Um, she was like fighting it so hard, so competitive and actually missed her first deer um, on a, on a Saturday morning and insisted that we get back out there earlier Sunday morning in case he came back and he ended up coming back and she got that deer. But I, it was just so impressive to me that, you know, growing up again, I might think, well, women aren't, aren't good at hunting. Cause I've, I've never, I've never been around, you know, and obviously there's a lot of judgment in the world today, right? You just, well, they've never done it. They can't be good at it. 
And then like my own daughter's like, I was blown away. I was like, she's, she's even taught me a few things, you know, just by watching her. And so that was super cool. And I could relate to your dad when I watched that interview. And that's why we wanted to have you on too. And I wanted to hear, you know, your story. So well, thank you. Know, you. Let's, I think it's really let's, cool that you have, have your girls in the outdoors too. That's they're They probably don't realize how special it is now, but when, when they get older, it, it'll impact them. They'll, it, it'll always mean something probably more so when they get older though. Absolutely. Um, so let's, let's talk about for a second, you know, so obviously you're a female, you've been in the industry. Um, I saw, uh, you know, and, and you've had some, some issues with basically people, um, you know, the hatred in the world of get out of the industry. You're a female, you don't belong here. You know, you're doing it for, for fame, you know, talk about that and, and your battle and, and your, your basically, um, your ability to deal with that adversity and overcome that adversity. Oh, this is, this one's a hard one to answer. Um, um, because I, you know, I, I sit here and say that the outdoors is what gave, has given me confidence, but it doesn't mean that I don't have my own insecurities or that I don't have my own, you know, struggles and, um, maybe have some like <laughs> inner demons at times. And so sometimes it's, it's difficult to block out the, the hateful things that people say, and especially from people who they don't even know you, right. That's the part that probably, um, gets to me. Um, because, because I, I, I am a sensitive person, you know, deep down and I don't want to lose that. Um, but I've never, I never wanted to like say that someone was, um, envious or jealous of, of what the opportunity that's come or the experiences I've had. But over time, I just had to finally come to that conclusion, like that, you know, hurt people, hurt people. And, and, um, at the end of the day, they just, they don't know how to, um, they don't know how to get to a place where they can experience those same things. And so it makes them feel good in that moment to drag someone else down. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I mean, I've tried to put myself in their shoes to make sense of it, but I think the hardest thing that I've, that I've struggled with is looking back at how much I tried to change and adapt, um, I don't want to get emotional. <laughs> Hold on. Um, for their acceptance. Um, you know, at, at the core of who I am, I love the outdoors and, but I am a woman and I still feel good getting dressed up and doing my hair and makeup and putting on my heels. Like that doesn't change because you love the outdoors. It doesn't water down your love for the outdoors. It's just a piece of who you are. And, um, I think that's very hard to differentiate in this industry. Like people just read, you know, the outside and, and want to make an assumption. Um, and so for there for a little bit, I found myself caving to what individuals said. And sadly it's individual individuals. I don't even know, but you know, it's like, what if I just look as rough as I can all the time, <laughs> don't do anything with myself and still kill a lot of stuff. Maybe they'll respect me. And it didn't matter, you know, it, it, it just doesn't matter because at the end of the day, it's their stuff. It's not me. It doesn't matter who I am. They've made the, the decision that they don't like who I am, whatever that it looks like. If I'm one person one day and another person the next, it doesn't matter. 
they don't like the success that I've had, no matter which way, what I look like or how I did it. Um, I wasn't going to gain their respect. And it took going down and caving to those opinions and figuring that out myself through experience to realize the best version of me is, is just who I am authentically. And that is the woman that loves to feel good and put her heels on occasionally, but loves to get dirty and go out in a ball cap and, and chase game with my bow. And I realize how, you know, what a contrast that is, but, but you just, you can't apologize for who you are. Right. Like it's just, absolutely just who I am. And I realized I'd lost, I'd actually started to lose my confidence in trying to please those people, which was probably the saddest part. It's like the very thing that gave me confidence. Um, I had started to like sway away, you know, move away from that a little bit. And you just, you just lose that. You lose that confidence when you try to be anything but who you are. And, and I, and I did for a little bit and then I came back and I'm like, you know, so now it's just like, this is just who I am. And, you know, those people come and go, they don't stick around. It's, but it makes me sad for, you know, the, the, the little girls who maybe want to be in the industry or want to get out and hunt and, and to think about that. Maybe they will be treated that way too. And I hate, and you pulling, I hate pulling the girl card, but that is truly what it comes down to. It's because they're women. It's not because of any other reason. Yeah. And I think it, well, and to your point, the, the, the scary thing is that you've been able to deal with it and you've been able to be self-aware enough to break down and try to articulate the reasons behind those people, right. Wanting to see you fail. And you've been able to overcome that. You know, the sad and the scary part is how many, how many um, women or, or even men for that matter sure. um, go through that and aren't able to, and they just hang it up. Right. You know, yeah. I can, I mean, I can even tell you um, starting a camel brand Canis, you know, it's, it's crazy. Like you think that everybody that's a hunter would want to support you, you know, and you get, it's just out of the gate when you're a new brand, it's just hate. Like, yeah. you know, your, your pattern sucks or your, your gear sucks. Uh, I support this brand. It's like, look, we don't, we don't need your, you know, if you don't want to buy the gear, you don't want to understand the gear. You don't want to educate yourself on the gear. That's, that's fine. But like, we didn't, we didn't, uh, we didn't open a line out front and say, everybody that wants to, to send hate over line up and we're, yeah. we're all ears. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that brought me to, you know, obviously knowing we were going to talk, um, I love to learn. I'll ask a lot of questions. I teach my kids to ask a lot of questions. My daughter, my eight-year-old daughter, the other night asked me a question. I said, I answered it and I said, why? And she said, why do you always ask me why? There's not a why. And I said, oh, you're just asking questions to learn. She's like, yeah, that's what I do. That's how I learn. There's not always a why. I process it. And so <laughs> I was, but I was watching uh, the, the, came on after Yellowstone the other night, the mayor of Kingstown. But I thought it was such a great moment and the quote and it resonated. And he asked one of the guys, he said, why do we live in a world uh, where other people, where people love to see other people fail? It's because they and don't want to put the work in. That's, ex that's exactly right. Yeah. That it's, uh, and there's actually, I did a little research on it and I won't even try on here to pronounce the name. There was a study done. Um, I'm going to have to learn that word. And that's my goal for this afternoon to try to learn how to pronounce that word. But um, 
you know, people have done research on it and it's, and it's exactly what you mentioned prior. It's other people's insecurities, trying to put those off on somebody else. And that's why they smile when somebody that they want to fail fails, you know, it's, um, and so without having, um, empathy or, or sympathy for them. And so, and I think you see that across. It justifies where they're at in their mind. That's exactly right. That's what I realized. Like it, they, that is, if I can bring this person down to at least where I am, then it justifies why I'm not putting forth any effort to be more than what I am today. That's exactly right. Which is so sad. It's (laughs) so sad, but it's just, it's just, there's always going to be people like that. And and again, I think the older I get, I just had, I just had to realize that, but I also don't want to get so cold where I, and I thought about that too. Well, you know, your, your skin gets thicker, thicker, thicker. And then you're like, man, I don't want it to get so thick where I don't feel, or I'm just numbed everything. And I don't have that like emotional tie. It's still like, or that I think the world's out to get me. Right. You start to victimize yourself when you get That's too right. far and that, and I don't, I don't want to, I'm not a victim. I'm, I'm not, I refuse to be that, but to say that I don't have um, moments of like victim behavior and then snap out of it would be a lie. Cause I do, I catch myself. I'm like, no, 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 you're, you, you choose to be a victim. And so, um, yeah. That's it, right. Cause you can get, you can get so hard and callous like, to your point again, you're self-aware enough to realize like you can get so hard and callous that you're like, wait, this is, I'm dealing with this, but this is also changing me, which then my relationships are going to suffer because I've turned, I, I'm dealing with that, um, you know, onslaught of, of, of bullets in essence, but I'm changing my own personality and that's not right. Right. Yeah. And I even, and I did think about just, um, shutting down, like not, not hunting, but just not sharing it with the world. I've, I mean, I've been through that multiple times, probably, probably a handful over the last, I guess it's been nearly seven years now. Um, since I had started, you know, writing about my experiences, I've, there's a handful of times that I just thought, man, hunting was a lot more fun before. <laughs> and then, but then I'm like, wait, but you're, that's because you're allowing them to get to you. So, you know, it's still fun. And it's fun to see all the people who want to get more into the outdoors because of whatever message that you share. So absolutely, it's worth it. Well, something else you said, and it resonates with me wholeheartedly. I mean, hunting I'm 39 now and it's, it takes time right through as you go through life. Um, hunting has taught me so much about dealing with adversity. It's taught me patience. I mean, so, you know, some of the sheep hunts we've been on the last couple of years. Um, I don't know if you've seen those videos or not, but it's like, Oh my Lord, like we've done everything right. It's step by step. Um, and it's just, it's just a grind. Um, but if you don't keep grinding, you're not going to be successful. So it's almost like, you know, these forces are colliding mm-hmm. and, and that little, that little, that little monkey or that little devil on your shoulder, you know, the, the two wolves analogy, which, which one do you feed, you know, the black wolf or the white wolf in the sense that um, a lot of doubt, you know, you're on a, on a backpack hunt or you're in the mountains, what you're bow hunting. I mean, or you're whitetail hunting. I mean, the the deer that you've been hunting all season and and you've been perfect with your scent control and he comes in and you spook him and it's just like, Oh my gosh, like you just want to hang it up. Like I'm not going to be successful, but 
you know, a quote uh, that I heard from a guy that I sheep hunted with in Russia. He said, hunting is like life, step by step. You don't know, don't go too fast, don't go too slow. But if you're not, if you're not out there and you're not going step by step, you don't have a chance to be successful. And so as I as I look at adversity I've had to deal with in my own life or in business, um, I mentally think back to a lot of hunting situations where you know, you thought it's just, we're down and out, we're done. It's not going to happen. And you found a way mentally to work through those things um, to either be successful or give yourself a chance to be successful. And at the end of the day, you still weren't successful, but it's the process, the journey that made you a stronger person. Um, And those are lessons that you can apply in life, you know, and I've, and I've been able to already, um, start planting those seeds and teach that to my kids, you know, when we're out there and we don't have success for whatever reason or success looks like an uphill battle. Um, and they're young and they're like, Oh, we're just not, we're just not going to see anything. We just might as well go home. And it's like, (laughs) or, or you're fishing, right. You know, my boys are into fishing and, and, uh, you know, it's, the fish aren't biting or that first fish jumped off the fly rod and, and uh, that happened a couple of weeks ago. And it's like, Oh my gosh, I'm not going to catch anything. It's like, well, that was my first fish ever on a fly rod and he jumped off. It's like, well, there's only one way to get your second fish and get him to shore is keep fishing. And yeah. an hour later it happens. So. And just to be, and just to remind yourself some, uh, is, is that something my dad and, and husband always say is, and it won't be the last time. And That's right. I think about that a lot. Like, if you can't and, and learn to enjoy these moments of frustration, then you're just not going to be able to enjoy hunting because it's not, it's, you're always going to have a next time that that happens <laughs> might be a That's little right. bit different, but it's, it's going to, you're going to hit that spot again, that low it's the highs and lows and keeps you coming back. Absolutely. So you're a bow hunter as well. Now you're living in Utah. What's your, what's your, um, I mean, what's your favorite game or what's your favorite hunt with the bow? I mean, obviously I'm assuming you're hunting elk, you're hunting, I mean, you've, you've hunted several places in the world too. And I don't know those. So like, tell me what you've done and, and really what, where you're like, where, what, what are your heart's passion, your biggest passions hunting? So by, by far, by a long shot, if, if there were no other animals that I could ever hunt the rest of my life, archery elk is, like, I can't explain to you how much I love it. <laughs> um, uh, it's the only animal, it's the only animal I even dream about, honestly. Um, and it's not, like, I, don't, I just started doing it about, uh, so 2015, I got married in 2015. And it was my dad's wedding gift to me. And I'd never left Texas. You know, I just grew up hunting whitetail, exotics, pigs, javelina, yep. everything you can hunt. There's a ton of great game in Texas, great hunting yep. in Texas if you have land. Um, I'd never left Texas. I didn't even know what a, I didn't even know what a bugle sounded like. I didn't know <laughs> anything about these animals. I just thought, yeah, I get to leave the state and go and hunt my dad. Heck yeah, I'm in. Had no idea the gift that he was truly giving me. Um, it was a New Mexico tag and I ended up getting a bull my first year with my bow. And I just, it ate me up. Like I just couldn't, I couldn't get away from it. It's all I ever wanted to do. This is actually a big part of me moving out to Utah too. Like I knew I wanted to be in the mountains from that moment. Um, but I knew that I had to like 
it had to be the right move. Right. So it took four sure. years before I actually made the move from that time that I experienced elk for the first time. But man, that is the one hunt that I look forward to every year. It probably has a little bit more meaning too. Cause it's, it's my dad. It's the hunt that I do with my dad every year. We go, we meet up mm. in New Mexico. So I drive down from Utah. He drives from Texas and we set up wall tent camp and we're there for a couple of weeks and just completely disconnected. Um, you know, he and I, that was the first time he'd ever hunted elk too. So we started hunting elk together and we've hunted, I think every year, but one, we, we, we did one different hunt up in Canada one year. He, he loves moose hunting. He's actually shot two moose with his bow now. And, um, he really wanted to go on a moose hunt. So I went up, we went to Saskatchewan, me, him, my husband, my husband and I were hunting mule deer and he was hunting moose and he got a giant (laughs) moose. I need to send you that picture. Absolutely. It was so cool. That's actually a film. That's actually, um, that's actually a a film called grounded on my YouTube channel. That's a, it kind of explains a little bit of, you know, where I come from and, and my relationship with my dad. Um, but anyway, yeah, elk is like, oh, that's like, it keeps me motivated in the gym, like literally year round when I'm just like beat. <laughs> um, yeah. It helps me like stay on the mountain and, you know, go on weighted hikes and stuff. Like I just think about elk. That is what motivates me. But I have been on some wonderful, um, wonderful hunts around the world. Uh, New Zealand's mm-hmm. probably the most beautiful place I've ever hunted. Um, I went there for tar and chamois and, um, I was in Australia for a couple of weeks before that. We chased uh, fallow, stag, pigs, you name it. It's a little bit of everything. Um, been up to Canada several times. I usually go up to Canada for spring bear every year, but obviously with all the border situation the last couple of years, it's been, I haven't made it back up there, but um, chased mule deer there. And then other than that, I've just, elk is what I focus on. So New Mexico every year, hunted Montana, Idaho, um, probably my most impactful trip. I didn't even get an elk, but I packed in for three weeks to the, in the wilderness of Colorado with a buddy of mine on horseback. We were back there for 21 days and we were an elk almost every single day. And I think that was one of the most like pivotal moments in my hunting career. Cause it's just like, I, you just learn to adapt. That was truly like, you learn to adapt. You don't have help. All you have is just each other, which we hunted separately quite a bit, but, you know, taking care of horses uh, that, which that was a rodeo in itself. (laughs) Absolutely. I feel like you either love hunting with horses or you hate it. There's like no in between. (laughs) Um, but, uh, man, I've, you know, and I, and of course my roots are whitetail, you know, my dad, he had a, he had a, like I said, he always had leases, but growing up, but there's one lease in particular we had for 10 years and I got to watch what true, like, quality strict whitetail management looks like and when you when you get to witness that and you get to be a part of it it is like it's beautiful but it's a it's a patience game and it's you have to be very very strict and you have to like really look at the the long-term plan and not sacrifice what you want um long-term for the short term and and he he I'm just feel so blessed again. I didn't appreciate it truly till I got older, but we went from having these like teeny tiny little basket rack, just crap deer. It's about 5,000 acres, by the way, um, down in South Texas and just tiny, tiny deer to the last year that he had it, which unfortunately he was wanting to buy it in 
it just didn't work out. We lost, ended up losing the place. But after all this development and strict management, he, he had a 190 class deer on that property by the end of the 10 years. Wow. And, you know, it's just, I learned so hard, hard work and patience and management. Oh man. Like, and some people, and this wasn't, we didn't run it as an operation. It was friends and family, just truly like, just, it was just a passion of his on the side of, of, you know, he, he was, he has a construction company and, um, so he'd take clients there and then friends and family, but it's very strict. It's like, you have to video every deer, all the deer that you see. If you take a shot, you have to video it. There's in every blind, there was like pictures of, you know, coal bucks that we wanted to be taken. And it's just, it was for someone who just gets to go hunt once a year, I could see how maybe it's frustrating. They're like, I don't understand. All these bucks are great bucks that I'm seeing. But when you, when you see the, the end result, it's a, it's really cool. It's really, absolutely really cool. You know, I can relate with you there as well on the elk hunt because I, uh, people have asked me as well that same question. And elk hunting with a bow always comes to the front of the list. You know, I growing up in Arkansas, I mean, there's some. I remember my first whitetail hunt, and I became so passionate about whitetail. I remember my first waterfowl hunt. I was about 11, and then it was like, oh my gosh, this just opened up another realm of possibilities, right? Get going out in the dark when it's really defying nature. It's way too cold. Oh, and you're going to stand in the water. Um, And then the next one would be for me in my hunting journey was elk hunting. Like when I got to go into the mountains with a bow, these elk are screaming all around me. You're getting, you know, especially coming from like whitetail hunting where you have to sit there and be so still and so patient. And then, oh, wait, you can walk around in the mountains and spot and stalk. (laughs) And oh, and by the way, the elk meat is a hell of a lot better than whitetail meat. (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, it's just. And you know what, you mentioned this, the same thing, like it gives you a reason to stay in shape. It's, you know, whether you're, you're training for triathlons or, or a marathon, you know, people do that all the time, right. In in the world, around the world, they sign up for a race because that gives them something to train for. Um, once we're old, retired and out of our sports careers, you know, if you, if you did that. And so, um, yeah, but it's, it, it's every day you're like, you know, we, we were, we don't have anything planned right now with the shows in January and February. Um, but we're always in our, you know, Hey, is there any cancellation hunts? And that's why it's awesome because even if you think like, Hey, we may be going somewhere, it gives us a reason to stay in shape. And I know it makes my workouts a hell of a lot easier because you're like, <laughs> I want to give myself the best chance of success. I saw one of our guys posted, did a workout for us and circling back to, what we started out this podcast with, you know, people want to see other people fail or they want to be negative. Like a guy posted this awesome workout and somebody jumped in and commented like, you know, this is BS. You don't need to do these exercises to be a hunter. And it's like, man, you totally missed the, like, you know, I sat back and just watched. Uh, I was like, I'm not, I'm just going to watch. That. Yeah, I did I'm see gonna, that by the way. And I'm going to watch the, some, some gunfire be exchanged here. And I just thought for the guy that commented that, um, and I meant to go back and engage on that, but I thought, man, you're totally, totally, totally missing the boat. Like when you're in the mountains, like there's so many things that are uncomfortable. Right. And so for me personally, like, and hunting in the mountains has helped me change my workouts because and not just change them, but get more creative because there's so many uncomfortable positions, the pack weight shifts, you, you're, you, you're, 
twist an ankle, right? And you're favoring your left leg more. And so you're, you're trying to carry your, you know, without subconsciously, you're basically shifting all that weight to the left side of your body, which basically makes your, your left leg give out over three days and you didn't even realize you were doing it. And so I want to say like training for especially any type of mountain hunt, whatever that game is, is teaching yourself to be uncomfortable and getting mentally tough. And so it doesn't matter what you're doing as long as you're able. And, and you know what too, as long as you believe, like if, if you're doing physical activity and you believe that it's helping, you're far better off than not doing it. For and, sure. And, and, you know, I'd be interested to see, um, a, if that person has ever hunted in the mountains, right? Because of course there are a lot of ways to hunt all kinds of things and Absolutely. you don't need to train for all of them. Um, but I'll tell you what, one of the fastest way to, to be miserable on a hunt is to not be physically uh, prepared for that hunt. I mean, and I mean, and I didn't know that of course going into my first season of elk hunting and you're from, I, was, I live at 500 elevation all, you know, growing up and then I'm trying to chase these animals at 8,000 feet. And I honestly thought I was going to die. <laughs> like, I'm like I'm in pretty good shape. Like I do at the time I was doing a lot of cardio and boot camp. I didn't, I never lifted weights until I um, got up here to Utah. And I, again, you, you become immersed in the mountains and you realize what you need to be better. And so uh, my workouts have changed a lot as well. Um, just for the love of elk hunting, that is the only reason. Um, but I have been miserable on a mountain hunt. And it makes it very difficult to push through. Like you can be in the best shape of your life and you have to push through mentally if it's just a tough hunt. And you add the physical stuff to it and it's just like, why am I doing this? Absolutely. (laughs) You don't want to hit that. You don't want to, like, like you said, there's so many factors, but, you know, with weather and just animals cooperating and I, yeah, like I train totally different now for it. Even just like, I think people underestimate stability exercises for trying to like side hill through like rocks and scree and stuff and and like really triggering triggering those really small muscles and i i always tell people like focus on that too like don't just go do a bunch of squats like you got to think outside the box um because it is different it's just totally different and and after you've been on a mountain hunt i think my favorite thing is how the seasons align because I'll go all, almost all September chasing bugles or like this year was most of September and into October. Cause my husband drew a muzzle loader tag. So it was just like constant. I think we packed out. I packed out. I was a part of three pack outs. I think he was a part of like seven or eight this year. And then you go into white till season. I'm like, I will gladly sit in that tree stand. Absolutely. <laughs> After mountain hunting. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Yeah. I love it all. I mean, how you know, and your workouts too, like, that's what I was going to say a while ago as well. Like, as long, any workout, like if you're doing it right, should be hard, right? And so any workout that's hard and you get through it, it builds confidence and it builds mental toughness. And so when you're out there in the backcountry, if you have mental toughness, it's going to take you so far. I mean, you can't, like I tell people, because they're like, what's it like? You know, one, I will say, and it's worth mentioning, I'm going to keep saying, and I've, I've mentioned it um, numerous times, I think, on the podcast. The biggest difference I've seen in my training and the way my body feels on hunts 
is the stability stuff and the core exercises and not just core, core not just, not just doing sit-ups. It's my lower back. You know, it's your oblique. I mean, it's just, it's helped tremendously. And what I found is like, it, it takes the pressure off of my legs as well. I didn't realize before when I wasn't focused as much on total core, my legs were strong, but after three or four days and, and your if your core is weak, you're putting it all on your legs. And it's, it's helped me knock on wood so far, prevent injury out there. It's, it's, it's given me the opportunity. People say, Oh, well, you don't have to be in that. Like you're in better shape than you actually need to be to go on that hunt. And it's like, well, if we're not seeing game, I want to be in the best shape possible so that I can go further than the average person to give my chance a better chance, give myself a better chance of success on this hunt. And so, yeah, I don't, again, uh, anybody that's working out and out there grinding, uh, it's only going to benefit them. Um, or if somebody gets hurt, right. I want to be in good enough shape that as good a shape as I can be, if somebody does get hurt and goes down, then I can help that person, you know, get further. Um, the thing you can't prepare for is a side hill and the walking on the tundra and mountaineering boots. Um, you know, my camper got golly and I was so proud of him. That's when I learned something about him because he was not a hunter, uh, had not done that. He had scarf and mountaineering boots and, and he had been training in them. But again, you can't, even in Colorado, you can't replicate the tundra and the side hill and right to the degree that you do it in the mountains. Cause I don't think mentally you even push yourself that far to like carry a 90 pound pack. And, um, you know, he learned quickly, you don't break in a lot of mountaineering boots, they break your feet in and then your feet are good, but it, that process is, <laughs> can be a beast. I, it's so, I just, several little things that you've said, I'm like, yes, people need to know this. I mean, starting <laughs> with the, the comment with the core, I mentioned stability a minute ago. And the one thing right after I said, it, I thought, man, I should have mentioned core too. And with that, I would have said, quit doing crunches, start doing yep. farmer's carries and, and bird yep. dogs and things like, and, and that's what I did. I was in the gym yesterday with my husband and he, we, I work out with him probably like once a week. Cause I, I love, I drink the, the CrossFit Kool-Aid. So I love CrossFit, <laughs> but he doesn't, um, he has some back issues. And so he, he does his own thing, but I do work out with him occasionally, but he's like, okay, we're gonna do 10 minutes of abs. I was like, all right, it's fine. Like as a finisher. Yeah. And I'm over there carrying like dumbbells, just, back and forth through the gym and he's like what are you doing I'm like pick up a couple and see how you engage your core and, and because you can't carry that kind of weight while you're walking without engaging your core it's just a whole yeah. different ball game and uh man it's so important and and I love that you touched on that but the boots is the other thing I tell people when it, when especially women who ask me like about about boots I'm like it's one of those pieces of equipment that you could easily spend more money on boots than any other product to find the ones that work for you. Like you, yeah. you gotta make like, and again, and, you, and they have to break. Yeah. Your foot breaks into them and people don't understand that and just think, Oh, it's a crappy boot because they got a, you know, a couple of blisters or whatnot. And I'm like, and, and maybe they aren't the right ones for you, but there's, there's so many factors with finding the boot that's right for you and, and letting it mold to, to what you put it through. And so I put, I mean, gosh, I put over 50 miles on most of my boots before I take them on a hunt. Yeah. And I think people, I mean, I, and that's because I went, I went tar hunting in New Zealand before, without ever touching them. I took them out of the box and went tar hunting. Disaster. Don't ever do that. No. <laughs> Don't no. ever do that. So. Let me ask you this about, um, and this is something that, that people, what I learned, um, 
took the same pair of boots to hunt in Kamchatka, Russia, that I took to the Brooks Range, and they were fantastic, super stiff mountaineering boots. Going to Nepal, thought altitude, you know, altitude's going to be thirteen thousand up to you know seventeen five, super high, super steep mountains. I need to take these super stiff mountaineering boots. Um, I would have paid and and all of us would have paid a lot of money to have a little bit of a softer, less aggressive sole in Nepal. Cause at times they were no other word downright dangerous. And a lot of the Sherpas had on even tennis shoes and because the rock, there was not a lot of scree, right. There was not a lot of slides. It was just super steep mountains and a lot of the rocks we needed more feel. Right. And so in our super stiff mountaineering boots, we couldn't, it's like putting a ski boot, on a rock and it was so steep, like you had zero feel, whereas you kind of needed to grip your toes a little bit. Um, and so that's when I learned like not, not all mountains are created equal in essence. Like I, I actually, I have the wrong boots here. I should have taken a little bit of a softer sole boot, um, for the main reason, safety. And that's interesting. I, I wouldn't have ever thought about that. I mean, I can relate to that. And like going on a final stock, I've taken my boots off of so many times just to feel a pine cone or a rock or something like to kind of know on that final stalk into an the animal, like, Oh, that's going to make noise or to like, so I can keep my eyes up instead of looking down constantly. I can feel. Right. And that's something I can relate to, but I never would have thought of that on the, on a, like different mountains though. And they still would have needed to be stiff. Like right now, I just recently wore the crispy uh, brick stalls over uh-huh. in Kyrgyzstan. Um, and still stiff, still going to give you the support you need, but you have more feel and control versus, you know, my Scarborough Grand Drews love them, but it's an aggressive, it puts your your foot in an aggressive posture. They're crazy stiff. Um, so how that was interesting. To, how do they compare to like a, a Kinetrek? Because they can be pretty like stiff too. Yeah, I have not hunted in Kinetrex. Uh, I've hunted in Loas, I've hunted in Crispies and Scarpas are the main the main ones that I've used. The guys here love crispies and I think I probably would too, but my foot is abnormally, abnormally narrow. Like I have skinny, skinny little feet and uh, I just, they just don't make them narrow enough. Scarpos okay. makes narrow ones. They, yep. they, they've worked great for me. Um, but yeah, it's just like 90% of people around me love crispies and I'm the, I'm the one that can't <laughs> do it, but I still tell people, Hey, you should try them. It's, you know, so many good reviews on those, but yeah. That's the, I'd say it, uh, your, your feet and your, or your footwear and your pack are probably the two things that people kind of get lazy with on hunts and they regret it. <laughs> if they have to Absolutely. I've learned that the hard way as well. So it's, it's, um, it's the little things that you don't think about and you think this will be fine until 90 pounds hits it or whatever the weight is. And you're like, okay, yeah, I, uh, I'm going to spend a little more time in pregame next time preparing this. <laughs> so what you're going to be, uh, you'll be a wild sheep. You'll be at SCI Dallas. Yep. Um, and then SCI in Vegas and then WHCE in Salt Lake. In Salt Lake. Okay. Yep. We'll be there as well. What have you got planned? Do you have any plants hunt, uh, hunts planned for 2022? I do. I'm finally going to Alaska. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go chase caribou um, with some of the guys here at work and a couple other just partners of ours. Um, and then I am going to put in for a mountain goat in Alaska. That's a big bucket list hunt for me. Same here. 
Yes. So I really, really hope that I draw that. Um, one of the guys drew it uh, for this year, Isaiah Joner. He helps with all of our outfitters. And anyway, he went and he shot a beautiful goat, but he he drew that tag. So I'm going to try to draw that tag. Might be in Alaska more than I realized. Like caribou is <laughs> for sure planned, but mountain goat possibly. And then, of course, I'll go hunting with my dad in New Mexico. And then I'm going to try to draw Montana. I really love that they have that, you know, longer season to try and fill your tag. And um, although I'm nearly exclusively a bow hunter, I'm not above picking up a rifle for a late season Montana tag if I needed to. So um, I just, I like that it gives me more time to go elk hunting outside of just that early archery. So I'm going to try to draw Montana. I don't, I think I got two or three points, maybe nothing crazy. Um, But yeah, that's it. I mean, I'll, of course, I'll go home to Texas. I always go and hunt hunt there at least once. You know, every year, I, every year I say I want to go on a duck hunt and I'm going to fit it in or a goose hunt. And because I've, I've, I've done it, I used to do it like once a year. I haven't been in two or three years now. And that's, I've, I've got to go next year. If I don't go on one this year, I still would love to yeah. squeeze one in. But I'm so I'm pretty ignorant to waterfowl, but it's one of my favorite hunts to go on with just for the people around me, the diehard duck hunters. I'm like, yeah. teach me your ways. <laughs> so I do hope to get it on one um, before this year's up and, and maybe next year. But uh, we're kind of the same way way here when I was I told you I was like 11 or 12 and I got introduced to waterfowling. So you come off the deer season being so quiet. And it's like, oh, it's waterfowl season now. Now you can sit in the blind with all your friends and drink coffee and move around. And yep. it's such a nice change of pace. Um, and you can tell all your stories about the deer season, right? Because we, yep. we all love to tell our stories. So. That's how my, I just went pheasant hunting for the first time in South Dakota. So I'm a sucker for first time experiences. That's probably yeah. like what kind of um, dictates where I'm going for the next year. It's probably going to be something that I haven't done before with the exception of hunting where I was raised for whitetail and then an elk hunt somewhere. Those will always be somewhere with, you know, with my dad as long as I can. But outside of that, it's like, what's a new species or a new place or something. So this year I went on the South Dakota pheasant hunt and the same thing, just like laughing and cutting up. And and it was all girls, which I love all girls hunts with the right crew. It can be so much fun. And um, so, yeah, I mean, first time experience is what I always chase it caribou caribou will be my first time next year and then hopefully mountain goat i'd love man i'd love to go mountain goat hunting i'm you gonna take it with a bow uh, no heck no. Okay. <laughs> no okay so caribou i am gonna try to go with my bow but i think okay. one, i think there'll be a person in our group that has a gun yeah um because again i wouldn't mind taking with a gun but i'm gonna try with my bow yeah. um i just i don't feel that way about most hunts like elk i would just chase them with my bow nonstop, but yeah. But with the exception of Montana, because I will be so caught up in New Mexico with my dad, I'll, I I might shoot with my with my gun. But I like elk with my bow. But um, caribou, I'll try with my bow and and maybe use my gun. But with the mountain goat, I don't even I won't even take my bow. <laughs> I'm probably just gonna take my gun. <laughs> I was in uh, Nunavut several years ago and uh, took I carried my bow the whole time and never had an opportunity and then Levi Morgan came in the next week with his crew. And, and I think he shot two with a bow. So it's just depends on where the animals are and what the migration looks like. And, um, you know, Kyrgyzstan, we wanted to take the bow. Uh, we were, we were planning on taking the bow and found out that they had recently banned bow hunting, 
Um, but in hindsight, like we, we wouldn't have, the shots were at you know, 450 yards, 350, and we wouldn't have had an opportunity. Just big open country, big mountains, but, but sloped hillsides, not a lot of cover. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you're a bow hunter, you know, once it's in your blood, like, I mean, people ask me all the time, are you going to take your bow? I was like, I'd love to take my bow, but this hunt, it's probably not going to have an opportunity, you know, so you got to pick up the rifle. You I, need to go I to, just, I want to learn more about guns. I mean, my, when growing up hunting with my dad, it was just, I just always shot his 22, 250 or my 243. It's like, I didn't really, I was not infatuated with guns by any means. I, I, and then when I met my husband, he had exclusively bow hunted pretty much since he was like 12, like he's self-taught and everything. He's incredible at, at bow hunting. And so that just got in my blood and I never even, I'm not above gun hunting, but I think I'm just ignorant to like the guys here all, they are so smart with long range and just little tricks and teaching me and they've been super patient, but I have a lot to learn. And I think once I get more knowledge under my belt, I'll probably intentionally apply for more gun hunts. Yeah. I'm just very comfortable with a bow like that. With is a bow. Funny. Yeah. Tell Braxton, you guys need to go to Africa. I think I listen to you talk. You need to put that on your list. If you like new experiences. Yeah, I do. People, people keep telling me I should go to Africa and I, I do want to go. It's not been like super high on my list for like above other things. Yeah. And I think part of that, I know it's not the same, but I think part of it is because I've grown up being around so many exotics in Texas. It's not like sure. I've never seen a lot of those animals before. Oh. And granted, most of them are going to be on ranches, like high fence properties. But um, I've, I've also been on properties that are like 10,000 plus acre high fence and you don't ever, you just don't think about it being fenced in, you know, it's just, sure. like, yep. I haven't hunted any of them, but I've, I've, I've got to enjoy like watching them and their behavior and learning about them. Um, and also in my mind, maybe I'm just in my, in my mind, it just seems like it's going to be miserably hot. <laughs> like I well, so I'm a, I'm a ginger, like naturally a ginger, and I burn really, really bad. And so anything that's like super deserty, like or even like going to the beach, all that, it's just not my thing. I like mountains and trees, and I don't know. I gravitate towards the like the colder climate hunts. Yeah. So. Well, I'll tell you this. I was going to Zambia several years ago, and, and my camera guy said the coldest I've ever been is in Western Zambia. And I'm like, no way, dude. What? Like you're, yeah, no way. And so I like, it was like a last minute. And this was prior to us starting Canis. I, I had a pair of Carhartt bibs. So I threw those in with like a big, super heavy uh, Filson sweater and a down vest and thank goodness. And we were so cold. It was just below freezing in the mornings. And now by 10 AM, 10 30, it would get up to about 70 uh, I think the hottest it got was probably 80, but then it's just crash again, you know, in the evening and really opened my eyes. Cause I think I was the same way. I'm thinking, you know, Africa, it's going to be hot. And it was in the morning, beanie, face mask, neck gaiter down, uh, heavy wool sweater down vest. And then you're just Carhartt bibs and you're ripping it off by, by 1030. That's interesting. I know it can get really cold in the desert too. I just, I have this, preconceived like this is how Africa is and and even when I'm in the sun for too long I break out in a rash on my hands like my yeah. hands and my um like up my arms and my ears and yeah. it's like a true like ginger issue <laughs> yeah so uh I, I mean I don't know I've I think that's honestly probably why I've keep putting like keeps getting lower and lower on my list even though it is on my list because again first yeah. experiences are 
are wonderful. Um, but one day we'll see. Yeah, the cool, the cool thing about Africa is, um, you know, just being out there and one, the, the, the game animals, they're just, it's just incredible. You know, the game fields, there's so many animals. Um, and to, to also have the dangerous game that's also in and amongst, you know, what you're hunting um, or if you're hunting dangerous game. I mean, that is Zambia, cool. That yeah, is cool. Like, like we were, we were hunting a herd of buffalo and we were, I think we were on like mile six on this stalk following their, their tracks and a lion cut in. And so he had cut in front of us and he was hunting the same herd of buffalo. No way. And all of a sudden we, we finally got within 200 yards of the herd and they take off spooking, um, basically south away from us. And, you know, we're just so frustrated, like, gosh, did the, the, we didn't feel the winds change. We don't really know why they spooked. And then all of a sudden, here they come running back towards us. And then we realized that we could see him way out there. The lion had basically, we don't know why they spooked the first time, but then the lion was waiting on that side. And we think another lion had come up and try to push the herd to, to this male. And then this male lion pushes the herd back to us. And so it's just, it's just this incredible experience of like, you're you're such a small little piece of this ecosystem right here about what's happening around you um everybody's hunting for food except we're the only hunter out here and and these other these other big guys are they're hunting their only dinner you know that the only chance at dinner i should say that's so cool that's really cool i would love to i would love to experience that yeah you need to put that on your list I've seen some of the, some guys do the mountain goat with a bow. Um, even the late season hunts when they're in snowshoes climbing up and cause you know, you can move, I guess, quiet and get within bow range. To me, that would just be an epic experience to try to get a, a goat with a bow in Alaska. Yeah. And, and I mean, maybe, maybe I'll change my thought. I mean, just right now, it just seems like, okay, Jess, let's be realistic <laughs> here. <laughs> like you love bow hunting, but you are not the, like I, I'm, I've had success, but I've had a lot of failure too, right? Like I don't, I don't, yep. I don't like say I'm a, an incredible shot by any means. I think I'm good, but I also think I kind of know my boundaries. So, <laughs> uh, but we'll see, maybe, um, maybe I'll, maybe I'll change my tune if I draw a tag. Well, if you could say uh, something to any of the, the, the girls or the female hunters out there, what would you say to them um, uh, as a word of advice as they move forward in their passion for the outdoors and hunting? Uh, I would I would tell them to straight stay true to who they are. Um, I mean, truly stay true to what makes them happy, and that you can be you can be all of it. You can love the outdoors and still embrace your feminine side. You don't have to lose that, um, to gain respect. Um, but then also I think what's really, really important, um, especially getting into bow hunting and, uh, hunting in general, but I feel like, I think it's important people get into bow hunting that they know they're going to screw up a lot and to give yourself grace and remind yourself that you're a human. And no matter what you see on, on social media or TV shows or, what someone tells you, um, they've messed up a lot too. And, and if they said that they haven't, then they haven't been bow hunting long enough. So that's probably my word of advice. Just 
know, give yourself some grace because you're going to fail. You're going to keep failing. And, and that's okay. You know, as I, when we first got into business, I had a, a mentor tell me, um, fail fast. And I was like, what do you mean fail fast? And he's like, well, theoretically, um, when you're young, you're not going to have as much responsibility. So those in theory, the mistakes that you make are less costly, right. For the company. Um, I think it's the same in life, right? I mean, if you're going to, you're going to make mistakes inevitably and, but as long as you learn from those and the more mistakes you make when you're young, right. Then the, the, the wiser you become, we've all got this short runway in life. Anyways, you, you become wiser earlier in, in life. Um, and so, um, that's always stuck with me. And I think that applies to both hunting and, uh, and business, right? I mean, we've all made mistakes. You learn from those. Then hopefully as you, um, you know, if you're like you and I, we grew up on whitetail. So it's, um, out when you're in the mountains hunting elk or you're hunting goats or you're hunting caribou or uh, on a 21 day Colorado wilderness horseback hunt, um, those mistakes can take a, a darker twist of fate where, you know, it could mean your life. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's keep pushing forward, be okay with those mistakes, learn from them and get better. Yeah. I think that that, um, you know, that advice probably resonates with me more too, because I am, I'm a perfectionist and I think that can be a dangerous, uh, it can be, I guess it can be good and bad as a hunter. Um, but it, a lot of times it's a dangerous place for me because I, I have a hard time letting go of, you know, what I did wrong and how am I going to correct it next time? Because it's not just you messed up and you can fix it. Like you're looking at a living, breathing thing at the end of, at the other end of that. And, it, and so it's not a reflection of like um, my respect for those animals or my desire to be perfect on every stalk and every hunt. Um, it's just, you got to be, you really do have to be damn near perfect and they just have to screw up, just screw up occasionally, <laughs> you know, to have the stars align on, on a, on a tag. And so it, I, I, I don't know how common it is to be a perfectionist, but it has uh, ruled my life and I can never hear it too many times that, that I'm just going to keep failing. And I want other people to know that too, and that, it, that it's okay. Absolutely. That's how we learn. That's how we get better. Yeah. Well, Hey, look, thanks for joining today. First of all, it's great to hear your story in person. I'll follow it along and look forward to following you in the future and look forward to seeing you at the shows in January and February. Hopefully someday, maybe if it works out, we can go on a hunt together. I would love that. Y'all say when I'm down. I okay. so much fun. I'm there. Uh, yeah. Thank you for having me on. It was, it was good to, to catch up and uh, I'll see you at the shows. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye.